How do social entrepreneurs and small businesses create an authentic brand people love so they can get the edge they need to stand out, create predictable revenue, and compete against the big guys? That's what we're here to discuss. I'm Adam Force, the founder of Change Creator, and this is the Authentic Brand Mastery Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back. We are going to be talking to somebody by the name of Kevin Manet. I don't know if it's Manet or Maney. He has written a regular column for Newsweek. He's been contributed to Forbes, The Atlantic, Fast Company, ABC News, and all kinds of other media outlets. Um, you know, he was also a contributing editor at Condé Nast for their portfolio. Um, for 22 years, he was a columnist and editor and reporter for USA Today. Uh, I think you get the idea. And that kind of leads into where he is today as the founder partner of Category Design Advisors. Um, and we're going to talk about what category design is, because that's what he's helping CEOs with these days. Um, okay, so we're going to dive into that in just a little bit. Tons of good insights that we'll get through uh, Kevin's experience. And and this kind of, I, I was really interested because it's kind of related to the branding process, which obviously we're very big on here at Change Creator with our brand studio. Um, and I love getting into these conversations because branding is just so important. So these fresh perspectives, especially coming from somebody with Kevin's experience is going to be a lot of fun. Um, if you missed the last episode, it was with Uyi uh, Abraham. Um, I always had a hard time with that name, <laughs> but you know, super cool dude. And he's got an incredible story. Okay. So he's from Nigeria, made it to the States. He runs now an eight figure company. I'm sure you want to know how that happened and what, what it looks like. So a lot of good insights for any entrepreneur on their journey that you can get from that episode. Um, we, we all have lots of internal obstacles. This is you know, something that every entrepreneur deals with that holds us back because we're afraid to, you know, take certain steps. It's easier to do what we know and feel good about, but the challenges, whether they're external or internal, are things that are, you know, the path forward, <laughs> basically. And a lot of people don't make it. Their dreams stay dreams, right? Because they're afraid to face the internal challenges and the external challenges. Um, you know, it's scary to invest and believe in yourself. It really is, right? What if it doesn't work out? Oh my God, the money and all the stuff. And, you know, we hold ourselves back. Um, but it's the people who see the challenge and acknowledge they can flip it on its head and they're going to learn something from the challenge. They're going to become better because of the challenge. They're going to find the opportunity. This is something that Rockefeller was so good at. So anybody that knows Rockefeller and his story, you know, as people panicked, he was calm. He saw the opportunity and he, he practiced this throughout his whole career, which is what made him so good at everything that he did. And so when it comes to branding and design and all these things, um, it seems scary, but this is not the next webinar or workshop like BS. This is core business strategy and principles. You need a good brand if you want to position yourself right in the market, make people feel good, give them something to fall in love with. You want to get more sales, build trust, be an authority, build credibility. That the brand strategy, the identity, the verbal, like everything comes together and it's so important. 
All right, I don't want to hold us up too long here. Let's get into the interview. Um, if you are interested in working with me directly on your brand and your website, all that kind of fun stuff, let's have that conversation. Just go to changecreator.com. You'll find our services there and you can just fill out a quick little form and set up a calendar date and we'll talk. That's it. There's no obligations. You can walk away from that conversation if you want to. It's up to you. All right. So Anyway, let's dive into this conversation with Kevin and see what he has to say. Okay, show me the heat. I know you're going to dig this. Kevin, welcome to the Change Creator Podcast. How are you doing today, man? Great, Adam. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think you guys are doing some really interesting work. And you also just have some really interesting background that would be fun to kind of tackle and get into. And, you know, as a guy in the branding space, I'm excited to hear more about the category work that you guys are doing with clients and, and why that's so important. I think there's going to be valuable, valuable insight for our audience there. So maybe what you could do is just tell us a little bit about um, what's exciting today, like what you got going on and then um, the background of how you got there. Uh, sure. Well, um, well, what I have going on, which is also a little interesting to your audience, um, you know, we're, 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 we're talking about, uh, uh, a lot about the book play bigger, which uh, came out five years ago, but I'm an author and journalist and I continue to write and work. And, uh, um, I've had a, a long collaborative, um, history now with Hamant Tanasia, who's, uh, runs general catalyst, the big VC firm. Yeah. And, and he's, uh, he's really intent on trying to change the culture of Silicon Valley, all this move fast, break things, disrupt kind of stuff. <laughs> and uh, so we just finished a book. You're asking what as up lately. We just finished a book called, about responsible innovation. Oh, cool. Um, and, uh, and it's um, not just about what it is, but a playbook for founders. Like if you wanted to start a company and said, you know, I really want to be that. I really want to do social good with a company, but I want to set up a business model that makes sure that happens rather than like a business model that the first minute there's some pressure on profits, we're going to show, throw the social stuff out the window. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what does that playbook look like? And that's, and that's the, that's the book I just finished, which is a, a nice add on to the kind of work I've been doing for the last uh, five or you know seven years now. Wow. That's pretty cool. Now you did some journalistic work in the past. Um, and so what, what, I guess, what did you get out of that experience and, and how did it lead you to uh, what you're doing today with sure. category design? Yeah, yeah. And then well, when you tell me about that, just define, we'll define what category design really means okay. to people. Will do. Well, um, I, you know, I had, I, I started out as a journalist and I've been writing about technology and technology and society for, you know, 30 years now. Wow. And, uh, um, you know, every major publication you could think of and TV and all this stuff, all, but, um, and started writing books along the way. And, um, one of the books I, uh, I wrote was called play bigger. It came out in 2016 and I wrote it with these three other guys who were longtime technology industry, you know, CEOs, company founders, company advisors. Yeah. Um, uh, a couple of them, a longtime friends of mine too. And, um, and we got talking about this idea that um, uh, that especially in digital oriented spaces, it's pretty much a, always a winner take all in any one category. Okay. Um, and, you, and there's a second place one that comes in, you know, and gets maybe 20 percent of the market and then everybody else gets the scraps. You know, <laughs> like any, any, I mean, an easy example is Uber and Lyft. Right. You've got this on demand transportation 
uh, category and, and Uber has like 75% market share, Lyft maybe 20%. And then, you know, in most towns, there's some other little guys that have 5% or something. Yeah. Yeah. So if the, the part of the, the backward thinking here is that if that's true, uh, then any company should want to be the category leader. Uh, because that's where all of the economics, otherwise you're just scraping for some market share from somebody else's category. Uh, so then the logic goes, if that's true, then if you're a company, um, you need to look out at the space that's out there um, and not just say like, we built this cool thing and here's what it does and you guys figure out what to do with it. Uh, that the idea is to look out at what's out there and um, and understand what's missing, um, what problems need to be solved that aren't being solved by whatever else is out there right now, and find that space and define it for yourself so that you can create a new category and own it rather than being in somebody else's category and trying to whittle away a little bit of market share. And, and it's better to start your own small category than to try to, you know, to, <laughs> to swim upstream in somebody else's big category and grow the category. Uh, because if you grow the category, then you grow your business. If you're the, especially if you're the one who defines and, and dominates that category. So that's the, the, the thinking behind the book play bigger. Yeah. And then, and then what we do in the book, which is what I guess people found so helpful and turned into a, a, an actual consulting and advisory business is that the book very much lays out a playbook for how do you do that? If you want to think that way, you want to, and you want to build company strategy around that, what are steps to take? To, to see the market in the right way, um, to, to put some uh, definition around that space so that you can own it and drive it first through the company and then through the market and through the public uh, to try to own the cat. So that's, that's what the book does. And it's been, a, we've sold um, you know, 150,000 copies worldwide and, and it's the best-selling book I've ever been a part of. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and as I would say, it, it, that, that then turned into a lot of CEOs um, and venture capitalists and all sorts of other people reading the book and calling us up and saying, help us do what you wrote about. Let's do what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and that's exactly what has become a big part of my job now. So I write books and I, and I do that, that category design advisory stuff. Pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's funny how that works when you do start putting your expertise out there, people will read it and they'll say, well, I'm not going to go look for someone else to do this idea. Can I just work with you? Exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. That works out nice. Yeah. Um, now I would be curious about a little bit of the process. You know, I haven't read the book yet, but you have my interest. And um, as a branding guy, um, you know, we talk a lot about category ladders and I think we're, we're kind of on the same page of um, where to fit in. Cause if you can't be on the top, like a couple, you know, rings of that ladder to your point, you just get the scraps, right? right? So can you tell us just a little bit about, let's say you bring on a client you're working with them. What is the process like? Like, so how do we, how does that start off and, and what does it look like? Um, yeah. Great question. Well, um, we do, um, we, 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 uh, one of the things we we've come to learn and emphasize as we, as we've tried for, try to figure out how to turn this into a practice yeah. that, um, the kinds of companies we work with generally are, um, startups somewhere between series A and IPO. Okay. At, and they don't have time. Um, they don't have six months or a year or whatever to, to you know, slog through a strategic you know, plan and figure out it. Yeah. I mean, they got weeks. 
So um, we've we've um, come up with a, a program that's um, a, a really intense um, week, you know, of, of of workshops and us doing some behind the scenes work and pulling together the the whole you know kind of category strategy in a in an intense week um, and delivering it at the end of that, working hand in hand with the client's leadership team. So we're actually in a room with the client and, uh, the, the, you know, and probably six or eight people on the top leadership team right? for, um, uh, over a period of a few days, six hours a day, working through this together. Cause we believe that the company itself has all of the information they need in their heads. They just haven't gotten it out and, and know where to take it and, and, and maybe need our help in how to get their heads up from, the stuff they're working on and see the context and, and see where they fit in. Um, and, uh, and then we do handholding on the back end as they start to roll that out. But um, the, the intense part is really just that week. So we're, we, we like to say, well, we can get a company from, um, you know, zero to, to a category strategy, you know, in a week um, and then, and then help them, you know, carry it out in bits and pieces as, as the time goes on after that. Mm. What are some of the key pieces of information that help navigate the decision-making process? Um, you know, at some point we have to look at it. And I think you mentioned a few things like, um, you know, I don't know if you do like perception mapping and things like that, but there's, you talked about um, kind of like narrowing it down and, and, but how do we start coming to some of these conclusions and getting clarity? So I'm just curious, you know, we don't, we don't have to reveal all the secrets here, but we do want to get a little taste of, well, there's got to be some kind of like, and I'm sure it's in the book too, just decision-making process. Like how do we start figuring out, getting rid of the noise and figuring out where we fit in? Just, can you give me a little sense of what that looks like? Well, it's not so, first of all, it's not so much where we fit in. It's what can we create? Um, and, uh, and, and um, so Interestingly, the whole thing starts with a really simple question that's really damn hard to answer. And the question is, what problem do you solve? Yeah. And and you, I mean, you, 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 it sounds so simple, but you would be amazed (laughs) if you sit down with almost any company CEO and ask that question. The first thing they're going to tell you is here's what our product does. Um, And, and, and if you know what, what, what what problem do you solve, and, and whose problem is it, and what do they? How do they really feel it in their gut, and why is it um, not being solved by anyone else? Uh, and if you're and if you're addressing something that's already being solved by from by someone else, um, then you're by definition entering somebody else's category. So let's redefine that problem. Or so our, we we believe that a category starts with either um, a. a an old problem that uh, has, is just not being solved in a in a great way for people, or there's new ways to solve that problem, or sometimes even better, is defining a problem people didn't even know they had yet. And um, and, and if you can if if you we can get and. I, the first day of these workshops, which is can be go to like six hours with the leadership team in the room and whiteboards and everything else, most of the time most of that day is just to talk about that problem until we get down to the very essence of what it is. Oh. And, and, and then if you can, if you can get down to the essence of defining a problem that isn't being solved adequately, or um, that you could actually tell people they have this problem, they didn't even realize it. Then you've got the, the, the foundation to start building. What does that category look like and what, how are we going to serve it? 
Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. And I'm curious on how you've seen this play out for uh, people that you worked with, where you, you go through this process. Um, is there, cause let's say they have a problem that they didn't realize they had. Does this, this must have a pretty significant impact on their marketing strategy to educate then. Cause there's this level of then making people aware and education, um, before they can really help solve that problem. So does that change that marketing strategy most times? Oh, absolutely. Well, so the uh, one of the things we go into from the very start is that um, when you go through this category design thinking, it impacts everything about the company. So we want not only the head of marketing in the room, but we want um, the head of sales and we want the, the head of product. All of, because if you if once you once a company sees clearly sees that category, clearly sees that problem, it might affect the product Product they're actually building. They, the, the product team will go, oh, okay, well, we were kind of going in this direction, but if we turn it slightly in this direction and, 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 and tweak things a little bit, we've solved a whole different category problem that um, we were after in the first place. So it does affect everything. Through it, I, I'll, I'll um, give you an example of a client because they've been very proud of what- uh, of of what they've um, of what they've done, we started working with a, a company called Noodle, um, Noodle.ai, and um, they were it was started by some very um, experienced people in the AI field, and um, they were uh, uh, they were they were poking at this sort of industrial AI idea and and had a lot of different ideas, and this is also one of the things that happens companies is you you start with some ideas like this and you have you know five or six or eight people on your leadership team and probably all those five or six or eight have a slightly different idea of exactly where you're going um, so alignment is always a bit of a problem um, and uh, um, so through the conversation that we started to have the problem that they identified that um, uh, that uh, wasn't it, it has never really been able to be solved because you didn't have the AI to do it was what we ended up calling um, flow operations and manufacturing. And the idea was that there's never been a way to really know from, from raw material to the shelf, um, everything that was going on in your manufacturing chain and supply chain uh, and uh, and ingest not only that, but alongside it, um, things like news reports, weather, all this other information going on um, so that you could actually predict um, where, you know, where you're going to, you know, have trouble getting this particular part or, um, uh, or, uh, what kind of, um, uh, problem in the manufacturing line was causing, um, products to be defective. So if you could actually like see the entire thing from raw material to shelf, um, in, in through the eyes of, uh, an AI that was, um, understanding how everything moved and what was possibly going to go wrong, you could drive towards this idea of, but perfect flow in, in the manufacturing line. Now, when you talk, when you say that to somebody who is a manufacturer, they go, "Of course, of course, that I would, you know, I would love. I mean, I have all sorts of problems in that in what you just described, <laughs> um, and I would love to solve it." And, and what what uh, the message is is that um, nobody thought you could solve that before because the technology didn't exist to do it. But now, with this, what we ended up calling flow operations AI. Um, you can act. You can actually solve that problem. You didn't even think you 
this is a big, this is a big problem. You didn't even think you could solve. And we're, we're going to educate. And, and they, so they turned their entire, like their website, their marketing campaigns, everything turned towards this idea of educating people that this um, kind of idea of flow operations or perfect flow in manufacturing is actually something that's achievable. That's worth um, trying to trying to achieve through the use of this kind of technology, AI, AI based technology. So that was that was an example of a company that once they really understood what the problem was that they could solve um, and and how to articulate it, then their their next step was to go out to the market and make it understand that this is a new category that can and will exist. Interesting. And how are people like that? I mean, how are they in a space running a business? And you said you work with people series A to IPO. So they're, they've been in the game for a while, they're experienced. How is it that they have a business they're running, but they're not clear on the problem that they're actually solving? Or is it that they define the problem just incorrectly? Um, it could be some of both um, or either. It's uh, so um, a couple of things happen. One is that sometimes some the number of times I would say a company has come to us that has maybe they're three years old and um, and they, they the company was started out to build this particular thing and address this particular market and actually succeeded and did that. Right. And now they're at a what next place like okay. we've we've built this foundation but like to take this from you know zero to 10 was one thing to take it from 10 to right. a thousand is the next um and and so um seeing what that larger purpose is that bigger category and by that point in time by the way three years in and you've you know, by that point in time the company's been around long enough and has done enough that probably every person at the table does have a different idea of where you go next so part <laughs> of the process of this category design and the reason for doing it with that whole team in the room so that by the end of it, everybody there feels like they own it and they're all aligned around the same yeah, thing. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah and it, I mean, it sounds like, um, you know, when you put this together, you, it sounds like you have different, cause you mentioned the stages and I think that makes sense. So if you're working with people, they got into a certain level of success with their business, but I guess things evolve. So you're kind of like right. helping them through almost a transitional phase as well, basically. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, like we worked with, a, um, and I, I know they're also proud of the work that they ended up doing with us, um, a, a company called Sprinkler, which went public just a month or so ago. And Sprinkler had been around for 10 years. And, um, and they, um, you know, they, they, they create these platforms, and I'm sure you've, as a marketer, you've, you know, familiar with some of them of, uh, that do all this, you know, social listening and try to understand, you know, what, where your reputation is going and everything like that. But there's five or six pieces to how that all works and being able to see different kinds of tech through tech, different technology. No one has actually like, um, unified them all, uh, together before, um, you could buy like spot solutions to a whole bunch of these different ways of listening or yeah. whatever. But yeah. anyway, so Sprinkler had been successful with that kind of technology over the past decade or so, but they were about to go, they were looking at an IPO, you know, some few months out and they realized that, um, they, uh, they, they didn't have a way to, um, to describe and go to market with um, the, with what they were doing 
because they kept seeing it in all these different pieces. And, yeah. and, and instead, they were, it looked like they were going to go out with an IPO and say that, well, we're competing against this person over here and this person over there, this person over <laughs> here, you know, with all these different pieces of technology. There was no single message uh, and no single category that they could like say, this is what we're going to occupy. Yeah. And as we talked through all of that, um, and, and, and this is, was, I mean, this was really one of those situations where it really, the company knew everything it needed to know. It really just took an outside person to stand back and say, you know, well, let's put it all on the table and like, see, does it all add up to something? And does it add up something, something that's, that's new and different rather than something that just is in somebody else's category. Right. And how do we define that? Um, and, and that other set of eyes um, that we brought to that ended up um, giving them a category uh, and they went to, they went out with called uh, unified CXM, customer experience management, unified CXM. So what they went out with in their S1 um, and had a pretty successful IPO out of it. Um, so mm -hmm. it gave them a way to, to talk about the category that they were creating. So it's, you know, there, so people come to us in for all sorts of very different reasons. Yeah, different capacities. That's, that is interesting. And then the last example makes a lot of sense because if you have a lot of different moving parts like that, that is tough to talk about if you don't have a unified like category or terminology to, to speak around it. Um, now, do you feel that, that for any company out there, um, you know, tech or not, right? It could be food and beverage, whatever, um, that, when you go through this process that there's always a way to create a category. Well, there, there is, um, you know, but, but sometimes it, uh, it takes a lot of discussion to see what that is. And, and, and we do, I mean, we will, like, and we will sit down with clients I and mean, say like, you know, um, going in one direction and then we'll, 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 um, talk about it. Say, like, are, are you so, but wait, you're starting to talk about, well, we do this, you know, better or faster or whatever. Well, if you're talking about better or faster or something, I think you're actually talking about, you're going to somebody else's category, trying to say that you, you know, somebody should use you instead of them <laughs> rather, rather than saying we are different. We are something completely different from that. We do this thing over here and, right, right. and, and force, force a choice, not a comparison. Um, so those are some some aspects of, of, of thinking. Um, and by the way, you know, I know you, you have a lot of um, social interpreters that listen to your podcast yeah. and, and one of the things we've discovered, I mean, this applies, um, it applies to social interpreterism. It, it applies, it can apply to even your, even the way you think about your personal, you know, brand and work and journey. Sure. Um, you know, you, you really, you know, it's it, the way to stand out and be seen and be understood is to have a very clear definition of what you're doing and what, where you're going and be different from others. And, yeah. and that's sort of what we drive towards. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because it sounds like you're kind of like playing a role and it's like in between, not in between worlds. I don't know how else to say it, but like we, I, I do robust um, brand audits and brand strategy work with clients. And you are really dialing into an important part of that process, which is professionally defining a, a unique category that they can really own and stand out in so that they, to your point, 
I mean, I don't know if you're familiar with the red ocean, blue ocean, but you're not fighting sure. in that red ocean as much. Exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. I, which I love because it is um, that is a very difficult process. It is it's something that can take a fair amount of time and energy and that outside perspective. So I think, you know, when I hear everything that you're saying, it makes complete sense. And um, there's, I guess, a lot of ways to navigate those things. But I, the examples um, you mentioned at first, I was like, I'm not sure where this really goes. What kind of clients are like, you know, diving in just for this. But as you mentioned, the examples, it's a much more clear picture. So it makes a lot of sense and it's interesting. So now how long is category design? How long you've been running that shop now? Is this pretty fresh or? Well, it's, it's been pretty much since soon after the book came out. It really didn't okay. take so much time so yeah. before the call started coming in. So I'd say four to four and a half years at this point. We've worked okay. with uh, probably some 40 companies by now in one way or another. Uh, okay, so you've been some, doing some quite a bit. Them, some of them, uh, uh, you know, very intense, short gigs, some of them a little longer. But I wanted to bring uh, to, to go back to an earlier question of yours and bring yeah. something back around um, is... Uh, um, uh, one thing that I, that does help actually is that I bring to this uh, the mindset of a journalist, um, mm. and uh, and uh, but everything I've learned in my journalism career is is extremely helpful in this because it's really about asking questions and listening hard to what people are saying and understanding that there's often something behind what they're saying that's not exactly what they're saying yeah. um, and, and trying to get at that. Uh, so the listening skills that I you know learned over those years are one thing, but the other half of it is that um, a big part of the output that we create is um, we, we, we essentially write this like thousand word narrative that tells the story of that category. And wow. the purpose of that narrative is to put some, you know, real, real hard words around what that category is and why it matters and, and how you as the company are going to solve it. Um, so that you have this sort of manifesto that everybody in the company can see and understand exactly what the strategy is and where you're going. Yep. Yep. And told and told in that sort of narrative style, because as you know, you know, I'm sure extremely well is that there, you know, the human mind loves narratives and, uh, <laughs> and if you do it that way, it's much more understandable than, than some, um, you know, spiel that's uh, like a typical press release that just throws <laughs> everything at you. Right. So um, yeah. that's that's a big part of what we do. Well, I like that differentiation that brings a lot to the table for people, uh, especially just because it demonstrates the a new idea in a way that they can clearly understand and see. And I think you can hand it off to anybody so they can grab it and understand it pretty quickly. Yep. Um, we're big fans of storytelling over here, uh, obviously. So when I hear stuff like that, I think it's really smart to, to do. And it makes me curious on what those are like. Um, is that coming from um, like, what kind of perspective is that written in just out of curiosity? And is it a present day story or a manifesto such as a future story? Well, it's um, it's funny. I, I like to say that um, the the plot we, we call them POVs, by the way. I mean, I know it's a fairly common term. That's what we call them too. Um, so uh, we like I like to, to say that our, our POVs follow the plot of every superhero movie you've ever seen. <laughs> and and so the the uh, if you think about like a, a you know a Batman movie, right? Like it starts out with um, you know the Joker has shown up in town and 
things are terrible, right? Things are a mess and chaos, whatever. <laughs> and you see, like they, they, the, the movie takes some time to show you just how bad it is, right? How yeah. bad the Joker is. Yeah. And uh, and so like that, that we start the, the narrative with um, what we call the dark side first, which is um, really wallowing in like, why does this problem exist and how bad is it? And how does it affect people's lives that it's not being solved? And why wasn't it solved before? Uh, and, and um, you know, maybe we take, you know, it takes 300, 400 words to, to tell that story and just really like feel how awful it is. Right. Yeah. And then like, if think about that Batman movie, then what happens is you get introduced to Batman <laughs> and, and and you get you get a, you probably get some uh, lesson on like what Batman's powers are or why they you know why Batman's uniquely suited to solve this problem of the Joker. So what so you, first part of the POV is like the dark side. The Joker shows up. The, the, then we introduce the category, which is Batman. The, the, the hero shows up to solve this problem. And the back half of the POV tells the story of how that hero solves the problem, um, what the superpowers are that solves that problem, and um, and then how the world is better um, when that problem is defeated. Yeah. And, and, and only at the very end, um, and that whole, through that whole section of that POV, we're not mentioning the company's name once. It's all about the problem that exists in the world, why it needs to be solved, how it gets solved um, in a new way that never was possible before. And then at the very end, you drop in, we are X and we're the ones that are going to do this. Mm, Uh, I love it. And so that's the that's the plot. I love that. Yeah. I mean, it's a great way to to express the uh, the work that you're doing. And I always think about, you know, the the, the problem and the situation and, and the solution, kind of these elements that you're talking about. And, and if you have this person with their day in the life or whoever, whoever's problem you're solving, right. That customer, um, just how many real touch points do you have in their life that are going to be um, kind of making that connection and, and solving, making their life better. Right. I used to um, do pitches at WebMD and we would have like a, a journey map of the person and their, their life. And then we would show the solution and how all the different touch points can like uh, help them. Mm-hmm. Um, so storytelling in different capacities and stuff, but I, I love the idea of the manifesto and I just, I know the power of um, clarity it can bring to those teams. So I guess you obviously have found a lot of value it has brought to the teams you work with. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then uh, um, what we always tell companies is that, look, I mean, that's, Probably that that thing we end up writing together is probably your um, internal manifesto, your internal DNA. You're not really going to show it to the public, but it is going to inform the way you talk about everything. Yes. yes. And, uh, and so um, then we can help companies with how do you translate um, that POV into a marketing campaign, into a sales uh, sales deck, into a deck for investors, if that's what you're after at that particular time. Right. Um, how do you help the product team thinking about, okay, well, now that we have this you know, new North Star about what we're going after, um, how do you uh, help the product team, you know, for instance, say no to things that um, are not yeah. you know, in that same direction? And, and instead build the thing that's going to solve that problem. And, and that's all what happens on the back end of doing this work. Awesome. I love it. Well, listen, I want people to be able to kind of check out what you're doing and uh, they can obviously check out the book that you have. When's the new one coming out that you just mentioned earlier? 
A uh, new one's coming out in January. Um, the title of it is Intended Consequences. It'll be published by McGraw-Hill in January this coming year. Okay. And the other one was Play Bigger, right? Play Bigger, yep. So you guys can check out these two books. Obviously, one's coming down the pipeline. The other one has been available for a while. You can check out the ideas in more depth, I assume, uh, that we've been talking about here today. Really important stuff. So like, I think the work you're doing is extremely important. Um, so people listening to learn those ideas and start understanding what it means to your business is very valuable. Where can people um, learn more about what you're doing and, and connect with you? Well, but, you know, come check out the firm's uh, site, which is CategoryDesignAdvisors.com. Um, and I have a personal site, just KevinManey.com, that has um, the past other books that I've done and other work I've done, if you're interested in that. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Adam. It was a pleasure. Thanks for tuning into the Authentic Brand Mastery Podcast. Don't forget to stop by changecreator.com for more information, fresh articles, content, and our services if you're looking to build a brand that people love. And please stop by iTunes, leave us a five-star review. We appreciate your support.